Hello, friends. In today's episode with Anthony Cofield of Living Book Press, Jill Morgan of Purple House Press, and Tanya Arnold of BiblioGuides, we are talking about the history of publishing and how it has changed over the last 50 or 75 years. This conversation is really fascinating, but it also ran long, and so we've divided it into two episodes. This is the second half of that conversation. Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. So this is probably a good moment to talk about bookshop.org. Should we do that, Jill? Help people understand it? Sure, that's such a good website. We, (laughs) Diane and I never, never explain how... (laughs) this works on our end. Um, We don't really do affiliate links very often. Up until recently, we've only ever done to Amazon. We never do affiliate links with small businesses because we want the small business to get the full take. Uh, We don't want to take any money from a small business. We're perfectly happy to let Amazon pay us. Um, All we want to do is pay for our website. (laughs) We're just trying to pay our website fee. And even then, we're probably going to have to kick in some of our own money. And that's totally okay with us Um, because Amazon really doesn't pay us very well. So uh, when you go and order from Amazon, if you order through our affiliate link, there's a darn good chance that Amazon will find a reason to disqualify the affiliate link and we won't benefit, but Amazon will. So Jill was saying, you know, you really should be using bookshop.org because it's a better affiliate program. You will actually get paid. And uh, far more importantly, their ethics are excellent and they are supporting small businesses, uh, small printers, small presses, and they're charitable. The way they work is that they are nonprofits, so they have to keep some of the money so that they can keep, you know, going, but they also, they pay two and a half times the affiliate rate that Amazon does. They pay 10% versus 4%. Mm -hmm. And then they also donate a portion of every book sale that you make to the bookstore or library that you want to have the money go to. So they Mm -hmm. help support all the brick and mortar bookstores out there. Which is a marvelous thing because we do all buy our books online because this is the 21st century. That's how we buy books. But I've worked in a bookstore. I think a lot of us agree that bookstores are pretty essential and important things and they are dying. And so being able to support them, this is a brilliant, brilliant way to be able to order our books online and still support bookstores. I will add. Yes. And I'm going to feel filthy after doing this. (laughs) <laughs> if you can though, and it's a small business like like Jill or my own, um, yeah. we do a lot better people buying directly from us Direct. than exactly. we do from them buying exactly. from bookstore or anywhere else. Like the, the discount expected is sort of off retail when we sell to shops is sort of 40 to 55%. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we, we appreciate any support at all, even if it's from other places, but it um, does support it us more from our websites. <laughs> I would say, especially if they're going to your site to do an order, like, like I just gave Jill an order for my kids' Christmas gifts. And so whole thing, I just want the whole thing to go to Jill because that that's what I want to do. Or if I want to get my term books from you, Anthony, and just place the whole order. If you're buying a one-off book and you might be buying them from a variety of vendors, maybe that's the better time to go to bookshop.org and consolidate your shipping. That's a good idea. Yeah. But when you That's can, it. when you're going to order a couple of books, probably best to go directly to our friends' sites and just, just buy them. Just let them make the money, guys. Just let them make the money. <laughs> there, you don't have to feel filthy, Anthony. I will trumpet this. <laughs> there's, there's nothing filthy about that. But um, seriously, when print on demand is sort of standard 40% discount, but for the books that we warehouse, We work with Ingram also on that, and we're quite lucky to have an account with them for these type of books, and they dictate the terms. It's 55% discount, and we pay shipping to them, and if anything is returned, they want us to pay shipping on that too. So, But when we started, we were just very lucky to even get an account with them because there's a local book chain around where I live called Joseph Beth Booksellers. They're in like Ohio, Kentucky and Tennessee. And they said, we want to buy her books and you have to carry them for us so that we can buy them from you. And that is the only reason we have an account. Wow. Because you're 
Are you too small by their normal were, standards? Yeah, they, they usually want their publishers to have a minimum number of books. Like, I don't even know what it is. It's probably somewhere between 50 and 100. And we had like two, you know. So, <laughs> but that's one way that times have changed. Publishers, this was really before print on demand 20 years ago. We had most small publishers would go to a distributor who mm-hmm. specialized in whatever, like there were children's book distributors and the distributors would take your books and send them to the wholesaler, which is Ingram. And then that Ingram would send them to the bookstore. So most people that work with a distributor have to give 60 to 70% discount. Wow. Yeah, I'm so glad we never had to deal with that. But I just can't even imagine how you, as a small press with five books, how you even make a profit that way. So it's just much easier to start now being able to do print on demand. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make as big an investment. You don't have to buy thousands of books. (laughs) There's no way that Living Book Press would exist without print on demand. Just right. not a chance. Look at all the good you do. So that's a for good sure. thing. For sure. Anthony, how many books do you have active in your catalog right now? Do I you have know? no idea. <laughs> I, I've, all parts? Because I've, I've got 92 that I've got pretty much ready to release because I've been pretty slack this year. And <laughs> I just haven't been able to do that last step of assigning the ISBN and finishing the cover. So I've just kept on. I, I like to feel busy because then I'm not thinking about how I should be doing the other stuff. So I finally put them in a database yesterday to finish them up. Um, so there's 92 ready. I've got about, I don't know, 260 odd, I think. Wow, um, marvelous. How do you even do that? I mean, when I work on books, I work on like two or three at a time. That's all I can handle. <laughs> I, I sort of do the whole batch. Like I, I work in batches. So I'll be sitting like doing all the scanning and then all of the picture editing and then all of that. And then I'll, you know, get to the point where I have to do all the cover creation and that more mental type work. And I'll be like, okay, now I'll just start scanning the next batch. (laughs) (laughs) And you get bored with the work. (laughs) Yeah. I just can't, can't focus. Yeah. One thing that I find interesting and Anthony had talked about like the Venn diagram where different small publishers may have the same books. I had someone ask me one time, like, why do they need to all have the same, some of the same books? You know, there's some, um, there are some books that are in the public domain and they're available and they're beloved books. And mm-hmm. um, I've thought about this from a consumer perspective. I don't, I don't mind that. I've heard people think, oh, that's kind of weird. And I don't like that they do that. Like maybe Anthony will have similar books to Lisa Ripperton from yesterday's classics. Right. I just, I don't personally find that to be a problem. And I'm hoping that our small publishers don't either. Yeah. Because I think it's really nice from a consumer perspective, if I did have a single book, let's say, oh, that's what it was. You were talking about, you know, what if you just had a one-off book? Um, I often still feel like there's, that can still be a good reason to go to the small publisher. And it's nice when those small publishers do have some crossover. Mm-hmm. So if I have one book that's specific to Anthony, then while I'm there, I might say, well, I have these other books on my list. So I'm going to go ahead and grab them from Anthony because he's sure. a trusted publisher. And there's sure. another situation where maybe I have a book that's specific to Jill, but I had some other books on my wish list where I'll say, mm-hmm. well, because that one is available from Jill, I'm going to go ahead and grab them from Jill. I think you're saying that when they have some of these beloved classics, there's a couple that Jill and Bethlehem books had in common, or um, I'm thinking like understood Betsy is one that everybody loves to do. These are like invitations into their publishing company. You know, if you know, if you love Understood Betsy and you know, Anthony has a beautiful copy or, you know, somebody else has a beautiful copy. It's like, oh, I'm if they're publishing that, that's the kind of book they're publishing. I'm curious then what else they're publishing. And so that they might be my kind of people. <laughs> they might do the stuff I like. <laughs> yeah. that, that's really fascinating. I, I hate I hate doing anything that would intentionally be in competition with someone. Right. Um so when I actually first started doing the public domain books, I didn't even put them on Amazon. I didn't have them for people to get. I just did them for those of us here in Australia because we couldn't get the others without uh-huh. paying exorbitant amounts. Right. Um, I don't, uh, yesterday's classics were ridiculously expensive over here. So I, I've never actually seen a yesterday's classic book. Um, really? Like myself. No, because there, there's not a big homeschool market here. 
Um, oh. So I I made those books for myself and for us Australians, and then people just kept asking <laughs> for it. And so then some Australians had mentioned it, and people said, "Well, can we get it when they're in America?" And yeah. so I went, "Well, I, I guess I've done the work." Um, but I I very consciously keep my head in the sand about whatever else anybody's mm-hmm. doing and just if people keep asking me for a book well then I I try to make it and don't bother checking if it's it's out there because <laughs> I don't I don't want to knowingly tread on someone's toes so if it interests me I'm like yeah I'll I'll make that because I'll enjoy working on it or whatever yeah. else and you want to do your version of it the way that you envision it you don't want to look at somebody else's version and copy theirs right That's it. That's it. I, I hear what you're saying there Jill <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think back to how many versions of little women do I have? I have so many versions of little women and I'm not sad about that at all. I love having different versions. Why is it that it's okay to have variety in the vintage books, but not variety in the new books that are the same books that we love? (laughs) That just doesn't compute for me. When I do them, I try to add things to them. I guess like Anthony said, he adds photographs or just whatever. And like, I try to add maps or just, you know, just whatever I think will make this, the book more interesting to somebody. I try to put it in there. And you update the science when the science has been outdated. Well, true. (laughs) That's a good thing. That's an excellent thing. I never knew I was this type of person, but when I'm reading, I'm constantly fact-checking almost every sentence, and it's not something that I ever realized that I did until (laughs) I started doing some of these older books, and I'm realizing, well, that doesn't make sense, or the author (laughs) said that they died in 1623, and I know it was 1611, so I have to go (laughs) investigate, why did that happen, and I I always have to make those changes, because that's, that's just my personality, I just, I can't get around it, so, but in this case, I think it's an advantage to, um, and and, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that some of these older books, they do have errors in them that were they're unintentional right but um like tanya said well if you find them please fix them because we don't want to be teaching our children the wrong things well like in leaper or i mean in buzztail with Mm -hmm. the anti-venom and i loved that you added the point that you know we really don't try to suck on it we we, you really do need to get (laughs) anti-venom i mean i i forget what i quoted but it was something like the cdc or or something that says you know please don't do this and it's and it was a big part of the story so it's not like i could just delete four pages and so i just put this little footnote at the bottom (laughs) saying what the recommended way to handle snake bites is now I think there was a, a recent conversation where Jill was doing something and there was a quote in the book and the quote was misquoted. Van Gogh. Yes. Yeah, and Van Gogh. And you know, we were talking about it. Um, and I just said, I, as a mom, I need to trust. I, I cannot verify that every single book we read is correct. And mm-hmm. so I, I want to be able to trust that the publisher was also acting as a good editor to the best of their ability to make sure that they but they did do that spot check. Like when they're reading something and they think that doesn't click as correct. I'm going to go check that Jill. I know Jill does that. And I just think it's nice. And I'm just like, fix it. Right. <laughs> Don't especially, pass on bad information. <laughs> especially when you're talking about authors who desire to inform our children. And so we're talking, the changes we're talking about here are not ones that would go against what the author's wishes would be. You were simply giving the current information that would be accurate. Even like mm-hmm. on the, um, in the Brackyard Bird Feeders book, yeah. Bird Watchers and Bird Feeders, where it gives misinformation about what you're supposed to do for food. bird banding. Bird, band. bird banding. Yes. Well, they gave they gave the, the accurate way to do it when the book was written in the 1950s or 60s, but it's completely different now. So I updated it to it, it used to it, it told you like how you write a letter to report your information, but now they want you to use their website. If, so that when a yeah. child encounters this, yes. if a child finds a bird with a band on it, they know what to mm-hmm. do and it's right. That's what we want. And in that book, it also said like it had some current statistics up until the time when it was written. So it said like currently, you know, like 
10 million yes. birds have been banded. And I, and I thought, well, I have to update that. And now it's like 40 million or something like that. So and some of the food recommendations, mm-hmm. we, the, those were off too. Yeah. We have better, better recommendations now to keep the birds healthy. I remember like the, the humming, the hummingbird recipe was a little bit off. It had yeah. too much sugar in it. So I changed it to what's recommended nowadays. Isn't it time consuming checking all of that stuff though? And I, I found out that I love that. And it's just <laughs> like my personality is like that. I guess, you know, like in real life, that could be kind of irritating with somebody always checking about like, is that true? Is that true? Is that true? <laughs> but, but when you're doing these nonfiction books, I kind of, I feel like now it's essential to do that. So that's, um, it's not something I honestly want to do. It's just something I read a book and I'm just always questioning everything. So it's an I've got, one case. <laughs> I've got a book about Australian flowers coming out and um, yeah, it was written sort of in the fifties, but now so many of the flowers, the scientific names have changed. They've merged mm-hmm. families, they've split oh. families. And when it's mentioning how many there are. So we ended up having to send it to a, an expert oh. in Australian native flowers who then went through every page and updated different bits. <laughs> but it was so that the the original book was so carefully laid out with pictures and, and the text that now I'm having to work out, okay, so these sections have to be combined because these flowers are joined and can I get oh. the pages to match up correctly with the images and it oh. just starts to unravel the thread. You end up yeah. doing a lot of um, extra <laughs> that stuff. That was it's, smart. It's That's fun. smart to send it to an expert. That, that kind of sounds like my mushroom book. <laughs> when I started <laughs> typesetting it, I didn't realize that all these mushroom names have changed. And so I, I spent like two weeks back checking my mushroom book, but it might, maybe I should have just found a mushroom expert. For this one, the, the author's son was the head of science for one of the big Australian universities. And so uh-huh. he had the contacts that he could um, find people quite easily. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is what's really interesting because just earlier, both of you had shared about the amount of time you put into a book and then maybe how long it might take to just break even could be years on some of your books. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, like in my mind, what I imagine, and I'm wondering if maybe listeners might be imagining this too, is that they're thinking that the time you put in has to do with the scanning, the typesetting, the proofreading, the covers, the getting it up to the publisher, which it does, mm-hmm. but that's only one piece. The other piece is is this component we're talking about now, which I just think so many people don't realize that when you're proofreading it, both of you are thinking about the mm. the text and what it's actually saying. And is it, is it current? Is it up to date? Mm-hmm. What are you putting out there? And that in and of itself, that's like two different types of brain work too. <laughs> we're putting our names on these books. And mm. so, you know, I want to stand behind what I'm doing. I want people to be able to trust our books and I'm I'm sure Anthony probably feels exactly the same way and there's the hundreds of hours that can be put into tracking down the rights on top of that as well which you can hit so many dead ends that goes nowhere Um, I I never bother trying to keep track of hours spent on Mm -hmm. books I know I've got some that are nowhere close to paying for themselves and I think I just don't want to know Mm -hmm. there's other ones that do the heavy it it all balances out and it's Mm -hmm. it's okay but Detective work can be kind of fun, though. Tracking. I I, lo- I love that part. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then, then I have. Yeah. Then I have too many come through at once, and I've got the stressful time of trying to get them all out. So. <laughs> yeah. So but back to what you're all saying about updating stuff, though. Okay, so I'm going through the Charlotte Mason's home education, uh-huh. and there's the whole first section in there, which gives a fair bit of health advice. Mm-hmm. I would be executed if I went tweaking with her text, though. She's considered, right, she is considered the holy grail. You just don't get to That's touch it. Charlotte. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm actually thinking that I might do a, whole, a series of blog posts or, or even a book because um, I was meant to be a fourth-generation doctor and mm-hmm. my grandparents actually proofread a lot of the big medical books that were sort of for consumers. So they were best friends with the person who'd come on all the morning shows and do the health oh. hour and all that kind of stuff. Um <laughs> So I was actually thinking I might, you know, spend some time with my grandmother and send her all the stuff and she can do all the checking and updating of the uh, the 1800s medical knowledge that is imparted in, in Charlotte Mason's books and, and bring that up to date. Oh, I think that would be marvelous and do a whole book yeah. for it. It's a companion that goes with you. Just do it. Yeah. A little, yeah. you know, Charlotte, 
Charlotte Mason in the 20, for the 21st century or something like that. Oh, them. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I see all kinds of possibilities with that. This is a slight <laughs> diversion, but I mean, the, the reason Charlotte Mason talks about using books is what was the alternative to see the world back then? Right. Like that was the only right. way you could learn about other places than where you were was from someone right. who'd been there and done it. Whereas now we have YouTube. We have <laughs> all of this, you know, all the amazing documentaries. And I think sometimes we do get a little bit too limited right. in books because Charlotte Mason has said it as opposed to all the amazing narratives is the word I'm trying to start using now. Um, I like that. Yeah. That's part of why I am, I guess I, I, I'm pretty scandalous because I'm not a Charlotte Mason purist. And I think that's because I, I think that she was exceptional. And if there's one person I'm going to follow in the world of home education, it's going to be Charlotte Mason, but it is different today. I think, I think it was actually in our podcast with you, Anthony, where I'm like, I, I cannot be out of doors in February in Wisconsin every day. We, it's, it's 35 below zero. There Whereas are just- we've got, you know, it's, it's 110 yeah. outside of you, you know, you're going to have cancer in 15 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. So, but I, I think with Charlotte Mason, people get confused between her philosophy and mm-hmm. then the way that she had to implement her philosophy. Right. And the philosophy, I can't really fault. Um, right. It's, it's exceptional. It's yeah. the other parts that get complex. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit like anything that we really come to value, any value system. There is a, there is a prescription that's usually different than the actual value itself. And so we've got to stick with the values and then yeah. apply them to the situation as is appropriate. Mm. Well, I want to make sure that we don't forget to ask each of you what you're currently working on that you want to talk about. Do you want to update us on Charlotte Mason audiobooks, how it's going? It is sounding amazing. I mm-hmm. am so excited. So we uh, did the Kickstarter, I don't know, a couple of months ago, and I knew that the narrator would be away for all of August because she had, um, she's got school children and they were planning their holidays. So we were hoping we'd get three weeks of recording and then she'll be back into it at the uh, start of September. She unfortunately got COVID right as the Kickstarter finished and it messed with her voice. So she did a lot of prep work looking at the books, mm-hmm. um, but she is absolutely nailing it. I'm, I've got getting like an hour through each day for to listen oh. to. Um, and there's only changes as sometimes she'll, you know, get, as you do when you're reading, you'll get a word right. that looks similar and fits in context, but it's not the word exact yeah. word yeah mm-hmm. um so i'm i'm really enjoying listening along and and highlighting any bits there but there's the corrections are few and far between she just gets the intonation to use oh. I, I was terrified of having to listen to these things um like i i love the books but when we've got a farm we've got all the boys and it it feels like a waste of time to just be sitting listening um mm-hmm. <laughs> if that mm-hmm. makes sense it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as productive because you can't really see that what you've done yeah um, but it's it's honestly a joy to listen to her read she's oh. just capturing that sitting down having a nice chat type of thing um what a legacy you will have with these because these have been so desperately wanted i i, I was so excited like i just Yes, I want the whole thing. I want the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really excited. So I, it's looking like we will have hit our target for when they'll be released. Um, but yes, if not, I'll just release what we've got by Christmas and the last, you know, whatever can follow, but we will sure. get what we can. Um, but yeah, it's, she's working hard and it's sounding great. Marvelous. So yeah, I think oh, I'm doing a newsletter this week. I haven't done one the last two months, but you know, I'll, I, I'm getting to it. <laughs> I think part of holding me back is I haven't released anything for the last three months as I've recovered from the Kickstarter and everything. And else. because you have 96 and, books that you've onboarded, but not finished. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, was finished up. It was, do you ever get the original art sent to you, Jill, or do you just get the scans if you've got artists around the place? Uh, usually, um, usually I just work from old books, but there have been several where I've gotten to work from scans of the original art and I just feel so lucky when that happens like if the author or illustrator had archived their work at a university 
the universities are more than happy to scan it and send it to me, but I have not had very much original art, but Sarah will remember one piece that I had from John Tepper Marlin. It's the cover of the Bard House. Our Facebook was, cover was, right now. I know. I was, <laughs> I was looking at all the covers of that book when I did it, and some of them were just so ugly. <laughs> I remember one there was one there was a picture of a tank and a girl's face in front of the tank and I was thinking that has nothing to do with the book why would I want to do that and so I was looking at them all and the nicest cover was the painting that Hilda did herself Mm -hmm. so I asked John is like was this painting archived anywhere so that I can get a scan of it and he said I have it hanging on my wall (laughs) (laughs) really and so he he took it out of the frame and he packed it up and he mailed it to me I just I couldn't believe that yeah I felt like I was holding history in my hands when I was holding that painting and I was very careful with it and then I (laughs) packed it back up and sent it back to him. And I guess it's back on his wall now. It is. He showed it to us. Okay. (laughs) And what else did you, you got something in a, in a tube. Oh, well, yes. The rear end pages of Pharaoh's boat. I couldn't scan them because they were just, there was, there were too many library markings and pockets all over them. And I asked um, David if he had the art for that. And that's when I found out he did everything on film. He uses like, clear film and he uses all of his pencils you know like on the film he'll color part of it on one side of the film and then he'll color part of the illustration on the other side of the film and he said yeah it's it's framed but I can get to it and so he said I'll send it to you and so he rolled it up in a tube and sent it to me and that was it I mean I think he put a plastic bag around it and that was it I mean compared (laughs) to the way that John sent me this thing Uh it was like packed for Fort Knox and then David (laughs) just sent it rolled in a tube I was like okay but it was completely undamaged I took it out it laid flat I scanned it I put it back in the tube and we we mailed it back to him wow I got all the covers for the he went with series arrived from ukraine the other day um the artist is, is oh, in ukraine. Ukraine. I, I was oh. i was so excited seeing all these pictures and holding the art and go oh, yay anthony i know a lot of people purchased from you because you were doing a lot of the ambleside online books but i don't know how many people are aware or maybe looking at your whole catalog that you also are reprinting a lot of those australian classics that would be considered the golden age of children's literature for australia mm. And I just think that's a nice thing to know if people are also coming to your site and shopping, that if they are looking for to expand their library outside of the standard American authors or UK authors to, mm-hmm. to add some Australian authors to their repertoire, to their home library. I've really, really loved the CK Thompson books in my library. I think they're oh, I'm great. So glad. Yeah, they're so good. And people don't know about them. <laughs> When Jill was talking just before about getting the artwork, I was actually thinking of that because um, his grandkids live about an hour away from me. And so I could not find any secondhand copies of some of his books and they were good enough to lend me some of the, his original mm-hmm. copies. So it had the C.K. Thompson book plates in the front, like his oh, own personal book plates. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I was so careful with them all. And then they, um, some of their kids wanted to read the originals. So I, I sent them back or, you know, express post and insured and all that kind of thing. The post office didn't scan them. At deli- like, and so like they scanned for a few points and then just nothing. So I was freaking out. A few <gasps> weeks had gone by. Oh. And then I get a message from him just thanking me for sending them back and saying how good the new copies look. And like, oh, I was trying to work out what I can do to replace these books. I have not been able to find secondhand copies of ever, let alone ones with the author's personal book plate in the front. <laughs> but it just they weren't scanned on delivery. But yeah, oh. I was... I was but yeah, the C.K. Thompsons are a lot of fun and you get to learn a bit about our native animals. Um, Nan Chansey, I did two of her books. Easiest rights, 30 minutes after I decided to start looking for the rights, I had her daughter's permission to reprint them. Um, emailed her the thing and I received it back in the post two days later. But the, the two books I've done, both won Australian Children's Book of the Year. The author won the Hans Christian Andersen Award. Um, she won a whole pile of awards from like the, event, I don't know, some American um, literary um, boys books thing but they are really charming lovely stories about a family living in these 
in the wilds, basically, with no electricity. Mm -hmm. They have to cross on this wire over a river to get to their place that they've sort of claimed and built their house. And just a coming-of-age learning responsibility adventure type story, which is really lovely. So I, oh. I really encourage people to um, what kids out. wouldn't what kids wouldn't love that, right? Oh, it's it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what age level is that for? Is that like between we were tired of living in a house and Swiss Family Robinson? <laughs> so if it's a <laughs> if it's a read aloud, I'd sort of go eight years and up, but they'll okay. be reading themselves probably twelve um ten, ten years up should be able to handle it fine. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really, really good. Oh, marvelous. Okay, I'm gonna have to get them and review them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I have on my wish list magic australia <laughs> it's really lovely and it's it's fascinating because um nuri mass who who wrote that one and the wonderland of nature which has a lot of crossover um oh. with other stuff and it's actually her kids um her son that was the head of science at the sydney university oh fantastic um, <laughs> so he went through wonderland of nature and updated all the stuff about mosses and rocks and all that kind of stuff um with oh. his knowledge delightful to work with but yeah she, she um I, I was talking to her daughter and she wanted she was a fiercely independent woman her husband died um got electrocuted when the kids were young oh, and wow. so she was trying to raise these two kids herself and she was writing and, and drawing for these books and saw a printing press for sale so she went and bought a printing press. So in their garage, she got it all set up. So she did all the typesetting herself, did all of wow. all of the work. And as she got the guys who were selling it to help deliver it, and she goes, do you mind just sticking around for a few hours to show me how to use this thing? And they said, you, you don't know? She said, no, I've never used one before. Like it's, it's a many year apprenticeship to do this. <laughs> like it's, it's not simple, but you know, she, her and the kids just worked it out and they ran this printing press from in their garage um, doing all of her books. Oh. And that, that attitude has sort of continued on. Her son now was helping make parts for the lens of the Hubble telescope replacement um, and all that kind of stuff. He's got a, a runs a, a big business in in Pittsburgh wow. and the daughter is a, a metal worker artist of all sorts of things that has installations all around Canberra which is our capital city so like massive 16 foot high metal sculptures about the wow. place yeah it's a little bit like Hilda Van Stockham's children are all completely phenomenal as well artists and doctors but they do all like they're so eclectic they do such exciting uh, yeah. stuff <laughs> I, I think when your your parent is a writer I think you have the the liberty to walk to the beat of your own drum mm -hmm. you don't feel the yes. need to fit in so much mm -hmm. there's a another Australian book I've done um called The Randy which is sort of set World War II um time with the boats coming in off Western Australia mm. and the uh the author of that one's son was the um first person to do the dual solo circumnavigation of the globe um and he's, he's sailed around the globe by himself 10 times he's he can barely sign his name because his hands are so messed up from grabbing the ropes in storms and that wow. kind of stuff so, um, <laughs> yeah, he's wow. in his 80s and got stuck in during covid in a different port and couldn't do anything because everyone was the world was under lockdown oh. um but yeah, fascinating, fascinating people that we get to deal with. I'm sure Jill would have some fascinating stories mm -hmm. as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get the rights to an Australian book right now. The, the authors yeah. agreed and I'm just waiting to hear back from the illustrator's children. Oh, good luck. Yeah, thanks. Good luck. <laughs> um, Anthony, are you still working on Galileo and the magic numbers? I ended up, uh, so that one there, I ended up, coordinating with the author and he just he's the CEO of a Wall Street investment firm mm -hmm. responsible for billions of dollars and he was just wanting his lawyers to look it over and needed a few thousand not against an advance just to even get them looking over the contracts um, I think oh. he was just hesitant he was lovely but just different world to what I'm used to when it comes to contracts yeah. and paperwork and so I the the group that was republishing his book without permission, they'd bought a bundle of books and had just been mm. accidentally included. I put him in touch with them because they were a, a big New York-based firm as well. And so they managed to work together and get the paperback released. And so I now mm. still hassle him each six months or so, seeing if I can do a hardcover. But uh, he he doesn't need the money um, and yeah. the book's mm. already out there for people. So he's he seems quite happy to let it sit how it is. But he keeps oh. inviting me to lunch next time I'm in New York. <laughs> oh, <that's sweet. laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Anthony, when you and I were talking about the issues with my talking wire book, with it having yeah. probably someone having grabbed two of the signatures, you were saying to me that night that you had also come across some kind of quirky situations with having purchased a book. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had, um, well, things like that where the signatures have been inserted upside down. <laughs> um, so to, you'll get there and then you have to go forward 16 pages, flip the book over, read through, flip okay. back. Um, I've had them out of order at times. Um, yeah, but and I've had doubled up a couple of times as well. But you, then you see that with the, the print on demand as well, like um, where they'll stick the wrong book inside or stick a few books together inside mm -hmm. the one cover. Um, just all sorts of, of random, weird, fun little things. I wouldn't mind I, it doubled up. I just yeah, that's it. The missing one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's the one. I, I personally, I mean, it's frustrating for customers. I love finding these errors and when they come through because it reveals to me the process that they go about making them. Right. Um. Some I received. I and I haven't had any customers contact me about it, but I bought a book myself. Um. That was printed on demand, and they'd left the batch information sheet in the front when it was bound. I'm like, okay, so this batch had this many books. And then I look at the back information with the batch stuff and I can start to decode more from how all of that works. I'm just like, but I, it, it's the mistakes that show how things are done. And so yeah. I find them fascinating. Well, that, that evening I had said to you, well, if my book is like this, how many other thousands are like this? And that's when you were able to explain to me, maybe not yeah. any other thousands, maybe, maybe yeah. because of it being an individual process, which I didn't understand, like, at what point there's automation versus at what point there are people being used for certain parts of it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how much, yeah, how much like single person work that there still is in a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, I've got some lovely customers when there is something like that, that goes wrong. Like I had one which was printed on demand where like the first 30 or so pages had been put upside down. So I'm guessing they dropped the, the stack of paper and just had hastily put it through. And they were really worried that I'd done like, you know, a thousand book batch and they were all like that. So they were just letting me know as quickly as possible. And it, it's so sweet. The, usually they're not worried about themselves. They're more worried about me and that I'm going to be having to replace heaps of books. And yeah. um, it, it's really lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think it's fascinating when we are considering the fact that we're having this conversation with you, Anthony, and with you, Jill, we, we are talking with the owners of companies, speaking to you on a first name basis about the realities of your business. It just shows the scale. It's not like we're calling one of the big publishing houses and we've got to work our way up 16 levels to just get to somebody who's going to be, you know, the PR person. <laughs> yeah. I'm so thankful that we're able to do this because before Facebook, before I met any of our customers, I was kind of working in a vacuum, yeah. just guessing at what people wanted to have back in print. And for several years, I think I got it right. And then right as when I met you, Sarah, and you, Tanya, that's when I was running out of ideas. So <laughs> I was like, well, what am I going to do next? You know? <laughs> it's a good thing both of you came along because you're going to keep me busy for decades. <laughs> oh, my list that people request. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but yep. Yeah. I never even considered starting publishing. I just got sick of people trying to find stuff and thought I can pay it forward by doing it. <laughs> and then, well, um, and that's the magic know, of it. I mean, so yeah. Anthony, you, you got into this because you needed the books, and Jill, you got into this because you you sold out. I wanted print to books. save the books. You wanted to save yeah. the books, and then there's people like us who are just trying to school our kids. We're just trying to build our libraries. We're just trying to live our lives, and we know that these gems exist and they're hard to find. And then we just get to say, "Do you think maybe you might consider possibly <laughs> doing this?" And then, uh, like magic. <laughs> happens <laughs> the, the he yeah. went with books i'd never even heard of the books um and and it wasn't until the, the lady three years ago asked about that and so i started doing it um Yay. but it never would have happened without uh, tanya reaching out and and asking things Yay. <laughs> right, and you all are asking for books that a lot of people want back and so i can yeah. trust your opinions i can trust your suggestions you know, a lot of people be interested in, in these books. I don't want 
I don't want to just do a book that only one person is interested in. No, of course. No. I have no idea how well this book sells, but I want to give a shout out to people for one of Jill's original books and say (laughs) that they should grab it because it's fascinating about the blind artist. And I just... I loved having a read of that book and reading it to my boys. And Wait, I think which more one? people should. That's so nice to hear. That was, that was the first original book I did. That wasn't a reprint about yeah. George Mendoza, the blind artist, blind runner. Do you still have that on your site? Yeah. Colors of the Wind. This oh, story. Colors yeah. of the Wind. Yeah, okay, yeah. get it. Okay. It's, it's really good. Everybody should go get it. George is the same age as my husband. And so, I mean, that kind of puts it all in perspective to me. But when he was 15, he started losing his sight. And then as he got older, it just got worse. But he was in, it was called the Olympics for the disabled when he was in the Olympics. And now it's called the Paralympics. Mm -hmm. But he ran in it twice. And he Mm -hmm. set a world record for the mile. Can you imagine running a mile in four minutes and 23 seconds and you're blind? And you're blind. I can't imagine doing it. Not blind. Well, yeah, (laughs) the best I ever did was about seven minutes. (laughs) And it's got a picture of him in the back running on the track. He told me that the way that he could run, because he has peripheral vision, he has very deep peripheral vision. So he would tilt his head. And he would look at the white lines on the track and he would make sure that he was always the same distance from the white lines. And he just ran. I mean, that's just so trusting wow. to run and not know what's in front of you. Yeah. Well, um, Jill, you can just add that to my order. No, <laughs> it's a good It's book. well worthwhile. Yeah. But I, I found George because his father wrote a book that everybody wants. It's called House by Mouse. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that George Mendoza is his father. Oh. And, and the rights aren't available to that. But then he said, oh, but by the way, a friend of mine wrote a book about me. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, What's it about? You know, and so he told me it's, it was about his life. So it sounded really interesting to me. And, and that's why we did it. Wow. So Jill, you have the benefit of working with a lot of authors or their children Anthony, do you work with a lot of family members? Like most of the authors you work with are dead, right? I have been in the supply business as opposed to the creating demand business. So Mm -hmm. I was just, I mean, I was homeschooling my boys. I couldn't find books or else they weren't broken up to be easy for me to use in my homeschool. So I was just making the books that I wanted. Um, So because of the ones that were requested, a lot of them were older. Um, I do really enjoy when I do get to work with authors and I'm starting to do that more now. Things like the Mm. Secrets of the Universe series, getting to work with the author, updating all of that. um, Oh, cool. And other ones. It's rewarding. It is. And and like you said, you know, when you work with the author's families, it's all of the royalties go to them. Mm -hmm. When you work with a publisher, they keep half and give half to the author's family. So that's why I always try to go out of my way to find the author or their families first. Nice. This is really delightful. I do want to tell you all that I got a hardcover proof of Here Come the Bears yesterday. (gasps) Yeah. And it's on our website, but I just haven't gotten around to telling people that it's available now. But I'm really hoping that if they can choose between hardcover and paperback, that it'll make it worthwhile enough so that, that I can do more of them. It's one of those things, you know, like where you spend so much time on a book, you don't ever feel like you're going to pay yourself back just for the time that you spent making the book because it's the equivalent of three picture books. Really? Yeah. But I'm I'm really hoping that since it's going to have both um, alternatives that people will like it and then... I don't know. Then maybe I'll do Here Come the Lions. Yay. Are you going to do Elephants? If I do, I'm going to have to borrow the book from Sandy because I still don't know. You know how each one of these sections has like a different family in it? Yes. So one of the families is just completely missing. The introduction is there and then I don't even know what happens. Have you guys addressed this in a different episode about the landmark books? Because I've seen both of you address this on Facebook, on Jill's page numerous times when people are upset that the landmarks don't match the old landmark. Not all the landmarks match each other. 
It depends on what year they had them printed and which printer they had doing them. The way that it used to work is that some printers had certain like house sizes, like trim sizes that they did and other ones had more choices. And so you might be off by a quarter of an inch or a half an inch. And I definitely have noticed that in my landmark books and in my signature books, they are not uniform in size. Mm -hmm. And so they really are <laughs> that little bit of I a know. difference. <laughs> So I have Captain Kid and I have Combat Nurses. They are so much more trim than my landmark books. They are, first of all, the covers are lovely, really lovely. You, you want to read them and they, you know, feel good as all of your books do. And, um, but they take up so much less space. I love that because I just moved all of my books onto my <laughs> 12 new bookshelves. It book is shelf. real estate. Yeah, it's expensive it real estate on your shelf. So. <laughs> I guess my question is, though, I, I've just seen it come up. And I do think it's a minority of people who are trying to collect a complete series. And so the question has been posed on your Facebook page. Numerous uh, times. <laughs> right, multiple times it's been it's been posed. And so I'm just wondering if maybe it would be worth you guys could both speak to why if you're taking the landmarks, why not make them the exact same size as they were before? And maybe just speak to why that is a challenge or why that's an impossibility. Yeah, it's, it's about how book manufacturing has changed over the decades. Um, before there were more trim sizes that were available. And it also depends like, um, printing presses are different. So maybe one printer A does a trim size that's eight and a half by five and a half, but when they put the boards on there, their boards will be a different size than another printer who does a five and a half by eight and a half book. So they each can have their own parameters for like how tall they want the cardboard to be, how wide they want it to be. And so that's part of it. So like there used to be more trim sizes. Paper used to be a different, used to be a lot thicker. So the, the books were a lot wider. Um, there's just all number of reasons. And um, the trim sizes that we have available on Ingram, they have their own standard sizes of board height. If I take the same size paper as a landmark, there's no guarantee that my hardcover is going to be the same height as theirs so I might have to choose uh, like the board size to be as close as possible but then the paper size might be different and would that matter to people too it's you just it's just not the same business as it was 60 or 70 years ago they're just all the parameters have changed it's just different right mm -hmm. and half the reason I didn't want to touch the landmarks is that the amount of work that goes into doing those sorts of books, the emotional toll on me, I just knew I would not be able to handle of the complaints. I'm like, I've, I've put so much work into doing these yeah. and, and this is the reaction. I knew that it would send me into a crash for a few weeks if I did that. Yeah. And so I decided to throw Jill under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you did because Combat Nurses is my daughter's like most favorite book ever. And she's going to be a nurse. And so this is very important to her. So I'm super glad. But I, I do think that that's an important part, an important aspect of this conversation as well, is that, like I said earlier, it's not like we're calling a major publishing company here and we're going through 16 layers of, of people. This is a, the amount of yourselves that you invest in this this is a vocation. This is a work of love. It is a passion. It's deeply personal. Jill refers to her books as her children. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and they and, talk back so much less. It's beautiful. <laughs> but well, oddly when, enough, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when people have fair criticism, totally fine, right? Like fair criticism is fair. Polite Absolutely. and fair is fine. But when we have sort of unrealistic expectations, it's fine if we don't know any better. We can explain that. But at the end of the day, you have to be willing to, to bear the brunt of, the, of people's reactions to what you're doing. You are artists and you're putting your work out there, really. The way you put a book together, this is not a mechanical thing nearly as much as it is an art form. Well, I, I didn't realize that until I actually got into it, you know, mm -hmm. you learn 
you just learn that, yeah, you put a lot of yourself into the books. I remember, I think I mentioned it last time, doing the Book of Marvels. I think I laid out four times from scratch just because yes. I'd get it done and just something wasn't quite right. And so <laughs> I knew I needed to just, you know, spread the text out a little bit more or do this or just you you have, you have to learn and, and keep making changes to be happy with the product sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think it's evident in the craftsmanship in your books. I really do. And I think um, I'm really, really grateful. I'm so glad that you guys do this. It's really important. Books shape us. They, they form us. You know, we were talking with one of the library ladies earlier today. Um, We were talking with Sandy Hall of Hall's Living Library in Georgia. And the culture wants to chew our kids up and spit them out. And we, as moms and dads, we're trying to put a wall around our kids and and form them so that they can be themselves, who they are made to be, be the best version of themselves and live their best life. And books help them to live a thousand lives and try so many different things on for size. But like Tanya said earlier, those reading is an experience. It's not just, I'm going to read this one thing and, and it's just input, you know, data in, data out. It is an experience. And so when you have a beautiful book that is beautifully presented, it signals to the child that this is worthy of their attention and their investment. It invites them into this world. They can go into this world. They can explore themselves by exploring the world with the characters. And then they can leave it and ponder it and pick up a new book and do it all over again. So I thank you for giving our families this beautiful opportunity to help our children grow and be formed for what it is that they're supposed to do with their lives. Thank you. I appreciate the feedback. It it really makes me feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile. Anthony, are you having a sale related to the holidays this year? Yeah, I, I'd never even considered it until I kept getting asked, are you going to have the Black Friday sale? And then I'm like, what? Crazy, crazy American. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Um, So, and because the print on demand gets so busy as soon as that hits and all the distributors and postage becomes a nightmare, um, the first week of November, I like to have a sale. So yeah, I'll be doing a a nice discount off absolutely everything. um, Marvelous. That first week of November. Marvelous. So Tanya and Anthony and Jill, thank you so much for spending your evening or whatever time of day it is with you we are representing four states and a continent a mm-hmm. super continent tonight mm-hmm. we got these people together and they spend their evening with us so we really really appreciate that four times thank zones. you so much well isn't technology <laughs> wonderful it yes. is we're even it's kind of a time machine we're talking to anthony tomorrow true that's it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having us it's such an honor to be on and to get to speak with such interesting, cool people. That's how um, I feel too. Thanks for speaking for me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you guys so very much. We totally enjoyed this. We'll be so happy to have you back again. I'm sure there is lots more we can cover, but for tonight, thank you so much. And uh, everybody who's listening, be sure to check out the show notes because we talked about a lot of stuff tonight. We want to make sure that you get links to all the goodness. Thanks. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Bye.